you are listening to the Casting Shadows Podcast, and this is a reflection from the road. Please forgive any road noise and any incessant beeping from the car's black box. This episode will mainly be a look back at RPG A Day 2023. We've got some calls from the Arcane Alienist podcast, BJ Boyd, and from Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. But we might also, if the episode doesn't get too long, we might also take a look at a recent play of Hollow Earth Expedition with Joe Richter of Hindsightless, B.J. Boyd from the Arcane Alienist, Carl Rodriguez from the Geomologist Presents, and the aforementioned Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. A lot of fun for me to provide an introduction to the Ubiquity role-playing system to those gentlemen. And they voted to experience Ubiquity for the first time through the first Ubiquity game, Hollow Earth Expedition. And so uh, it's a lot of fun. I, some things I want to talk about, some some high points and some low points. And uh, yeah, so maybe that will be at the end of this episode. But first, reflections. We are long overdue for the promised reflection on RPG a day. Now here on the podcast, this is just my personal reflection. I'm also overdue to release a video that David and I recorded uh, the day after RPG a day. (laughs) And and I'll get to it this week. Uh, Just things have suddenly become a little busier and differently busy than I had expected. Uh, Some of you out there know uh, that uh, as a family, my wife and I have a lot of dogs, and from time to time, we also foster dogs. And sometimes that works out, and sometimes there's lots of drama, and sometimes it doesn't work out, and our pack of dogs gets larger. (laughs) So the shortest turnaround for that would be with Grace, our Doberman, who we were just supposed to drive from people that rescued her in one city in Korea and drive her basically to the other end of Korea to go to a shelter that specialized, you know, an actual shelter uh, that specialized in uh, large dogs. When I met her, it turned out that we were actually the ones rescuing her. We were taking her away from her abusive owner. And uh, seeing her in the circumstances in which she was living, and you know, she was only uh, one and a half at that time, and uh, her hair falling out, and ears down, and just you know, quivering up against the wall on a short chain, you know, that was a day let me tell you. And on the ride, 
several hour ride from there to the shelter, uh, I became less and less enamored of the idea of letting her go. And so when we got to the shelter, <laughs> the, the woman that runs the place knows my wife quite well and just kind of knows me tangentially. <laughs> she took one, one look at me and the dog and she said to me, said, I'm going to do a test. Could you please not come in? So I, I had no idea what she was talking about. So I said, okay. So I stayed outside the gate to the shelter and uh, Grace, not yet called Grace, uh, you know, came to the gate. She didn't want to be separated from me either. So that's when we all knew that there wasn't going to be any fostering. There wasn't going to be any delivering. She was, she was going to stay with us. Uh, so that was the shortest uh, such experience. We're in the middle of fostering a golden retriever now uh, that uh, I'm, of course, drifting more and more toward, well, she might as well just stay. She gets along with everybody. She fits right in. <laughs> My wife is still looking for for a home where she can be the center of attention because she's just a puppy. She just is like one or almost one. And it would be awesome. She'd be an awesome, awesome dog for you know, a family with, uh, with kids and, and that kind of stuff. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> fingers crossed we can find an awesome home. But also the, all the other fingers crossed uh, that she gets to stay with us. But, uh, so that's taken up a huge amount of time because she was in really rough shape. Uh, she's needed a lot of, of care and trips to the vet and trips to the groomers because her hair was all matted and, and stuff. So... Yeah. Anyway, this reflection is not about that. This reflection is about RPG a day and why this reflection is so late. So that's taking care of all the lateness part. Uh, well, I guess just one more detail. I've been doing a lot of writing and editing in the background. And, you know, if you're awake enough to record a podcast, you're also awake enough uh, to be editing so or writing. So you should be writing or you should be editing is, is a, a popular refrain these days. So here we are in the car where I can't do either of the other two. And so, you know, apologies for the sound quality. RPG a day has had many peaks and valleys over its 10 year run. Uh, it had a period of steady growth in the beginning. Then it had a huge explosion. Then it had another huge explosion, uh, with the advent of hashtags. Now, whether, that was just, it was suddenly a lot easier for us to find people posting about it in all the different places that they post about it, or whether there were actually more people, you know, now sharing it. Uh, I, I can't say, but, uh, since hashtags came along, I've been kind of keeping an eye on the number of participants and it, it tends to ebb and flow or, you know, wax and wane in, in communities. There are periods of time where a large number of people in a given community are participating. It feels like everybody's talking about it and everybody's doing it. And then, you know, time changes, you know, available time changes or interests change or circumstances change, like you're not playing as much anymore or you're playing a lot uh, and you find that all your answers are just about one game and you know for some of us that's a celebration and for others of us that's somehow embarrassing 
And so some people will post more and with enthusiasm to talk about all the awesome things that that, that one game that they're fixated on does. And other people just kind of shut down and they don't want to talk. Um, so, you know, people are people. And uh, I, I know I got a tremendous amount of mirth uh, from the Hindsightless podcast as it became more and more obvious to Joe and the rest of us that it was possible to apply MERP to just about any <laughs> any category. And, you know, that played out as tremendous fun and tremendous humor. It, was, it really was a great hook for... Uh, for listening to the podcast every day. Like, is he going to mention Merp again? I hope he mentions Merp again. You know, that kind of stuff. But for some people, that becomes a real barrier to posting. They think, oh, you know, people are going to stop listening because I just talk about the same game and blah, blah, blah. I don't find that that's particularly true uh, objectively, but I certainly understand the subjective uh, reaction to that experience. So, anyway, one of the things that has changed over the last two years or so is a retreat from largely public social media into, once again, siloed social media. So people are doing it on private Discord servers and they're talking about it in private Facebook groups and people are moving away from Twitter so there's you know fragmentation there. And, uh, Instagram... You know, I've never really found a lot of RPG a day stuff on Instagram, although it was it was the the central focus originally when the when the event started. But yeah, the the Google search, you know, for want of a, a better description, used to have access to a lot more of the activity of RPG a day than maybe it will going forward in the future. You know, as we drift away, you know, as we give up on Facebook, as we give up on Instagram, as we give up on, on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, and instead return to a more forum-based lifestyle uh, with blogs returning and with uh, the rise of Discord and, and all of that stuff, um, it will be a little bit harder to see what people post for RPG a day. Unless what I've been asking for for a number of, of the years of the last 10 uh, continues and grows. And that's people sharing uh, what people post. And I don't really mean it in the self-promotion sense. I mean it in the enjoyment sense. Because one of the other barriers to RPG a day is that now there are suddenly a lot of role-playing game posts. People have the same amount of time to read role-playing game posts, but there are now more posts to read. And they might become selective, and, uh, and people will see, people will actually see, that some of their posts get a huge number of views, and that's exciting or they got a huge number of likes or, or things like that. And then they'll see others that, that, that don't get much uh, response at all, or maybe nothing. So over 31 days, that's a completely understandable phenomenon, right? Uh, and in a sense, it's a way for you to, if you care about such things, get a sense of how much attention your particular audience 
has to give to anything. <laughs> so you will see drops in in the numbers of people who have viewed any particular thing that you tend to do during RPG a day in August. And so some people leap into it thinking that it's a great way to promote their channel or, or a great way to do these things. And it might be in some cases. But I find the RPG channels that are motivated by profit or by trends, you know, they, they've, they've looked for a topic and they've chosen RPGs as the topic of their money-making social media endeavor. And they will be discouraged by RPG a day or they won't bother to get involved in it. Right. And so, you know, there's a reason why the gigantic channels out there don't promote it, don't participate in it. Uh, they don't see the monetary value in it. Which to me is a huge red flag. <laughs> but apparently to them, it is not. <laughs> and it's not a red flag about RPG a day. It's a red flag about, you know, uh, the purpose of the channel. Uh, the purpose of the channel is not to communicate, you know, a whole lot of love about RPGs. Instead, the purpose of the channel is to harvest uh, of the audience. So, you know, <laughs> that's just one of those things. So in the future going forward, as the conversations, you know, enter this new era of siloed communication, of separated or segregated or private communication, I'm expecting to see, you know, a rise in more interaction because it's going to be taking place in these pockets, these communities of, of gamers who all know each other and are used to talking to each other. So there'll be more interaction and more discussion and more support and more positivity. And I like all of that. What I worry about is that there's a tendency to, you know, keep it in the family. When some, some posts are particularly cool and so if you think it's particularly cool, odds are that people like you in other communities will also find it particularly cool. And, you know, taking the extra step of sharing it on public social media uh, in some way, you know, I think there's a real benefit there. It's a way for people to discover podcasts and discover blogs and discover new Discord servers and discover new games and, you know, on and on like that. So yeah, RPG Day is an interesting, an interesting thing. I felt strange personally this year, focusing on, on the written blog, not doing daily YouTube videos. I've got a, I've done a, a couple of years where I did one-minute videos, like before shorts were invented, and I really thought in the back of my mind this year that I would be doing one-minute shorts uh, every day for RPG a day, but when it came right down to it. Um, I have just been in a mood to write, and I've been in a mood to to do things with the blog. So I thought, well, you know, follow your joy, <laughs> and uh, and so I did. 
Um, but it's time to, to uh, be a little more active on YouTube than I have been uh, of late. It's time to bring that back, because I really do enjoy video editing. I've got this huge stack of our actual plays that need to be put together. I've got a lot of of topics to discuss that require a more visual element than the podcast and that sort of stuff, and they're all just languishing on my hard drive, so they've, they've got to be... Uh, those demons have to be exercised, or exercised, as it were. So, I began this particular thrust of conversation with tracking the amount of interaction RPG a day gets. And this was, again, a rise. Uh, this was a, was a peak. Partly the anniversary, I think, partly because the Anchor Sphere, as it gave its last hurrah as Anchor, um, spread, you know, spread news of RPG a day more broadly into to more areas than uh, it may have been before, and also because the foreign language translations have continued to grow. We don't have quite as many this year or last year as we did the several years previous to that. And part of that may be uh, because we started hosting the translations only on Facebook. Uh, it used to be that I would post the translations and and links uh, on the on the written blog as they came in, um, but that that process has kind of fallen by the wayside. So I think that should probably return. So so it's a lot more obvious which languages have been translated, what the translations are, where to go to get access to all the different translations, and and uh, and at least some links to. You know, like if you're a student of said language, you know, if it, it's translated into Portuguese regularly, for example, Brazilian Portuguese. So if you're studying Portuguese and uh, thought, oh, this would be a fun way to practice, how would you stumble across those posts? Well, one, you could follow the hashtag, but you should really be able to go to uh, to my blog or, or David's blog and, and get started on your journey. Uh, and that hasn't been true for the last two years, so I should return to doing that, is a reflection that I have. But there's a lot, a lot of activity uh, out there in different languages. Historically, the largest communities uh, have been the Spanish community, Spanish-speaking community, and the French-speaking community. The French-speaking community making a lot more videos as French RPG YouTube groups uh, continue to grow, having their kind of renaissance, uh, but uh, this year we're seeing more uh, Eastern European languages being represented, and that's that's really cool. And of course the, the German contingent is powerful. There's a lot of uh, role-playing going on uh, using German as its native language, and there are a lot of blogs, and there's a lot of discussion, and RPG a day uh, gets a lot of traction in that language. So, you know, if you are learning a language, that's just one more fun way that you can expand your opportunities to use the language and appreciate it.
Is there anything else to say about RPG a day? 2023. Um, I was pleased to see how pleased people were with you know that style of, of prompt. Uh, we moved away from that style of prompt uh, pretty early on because there's a finite number of prompts uh, of that of that type that uh, that you can pose. And so to keep it from becoming this basically the same list of questions every year, uh, RPG a day had to evolve. And I think that's a that's a good thing. So we've we have found many different ways to you know em, to embrace the activity of of RPG a day. And uh, and I hope that creativity around what are we going to do this year continues. But it was fun to go back to those original prompts. Um, it was funny to funny in a familiar, you know, kind of been there, done that kind of way uh, to hear the rise of comments. Like if you listen to enough or read enough RPG a day posts, uh, you will come across the sentiment that favorite is a bad word to use. <laughs> and, uh, I'm particularly fond of the argument that favorite is fine, but it's a, it's a terrible word to use with nerds or geeks or you know other uh, <laughs> other obsessive types. And uh, and I don't I don't disagree that favorite is a uh, a challenging word. Uh, I think my first video series about RPG a day starts in 2015, I think, and I also direct a lot of frustration toward the word, not frustration, more like explanation. Well, as you know, as I said yesterday, I am not one who has favorites. <laughs> but for today, I will deign to choose this one to talk about. Yeah, I got I got pretty bent out of shape about favorite of myself originally. And, uh, and that experience, when it came time for me to step in and be a part of the event, um, you know, I went back and listened to and tried to find to read my old posts about it, and it really made me want to double down on the positivity aspect, because it's so easy for for that to poison your own fun, to make it harder for yourself, and uh, I have nothing but but praise and appreciation for the people who who've run into that same wall that I did about the word favorite or best uh, or worst, you know th- those kind of. Um, maximal words they've run into the same irritation uh, that I experienced and were able to you know soldier through it were able to self-correct were able to find their own way back to positivity I think that's just that's just awesome and uh, and those are the people to look out for as being awesome people you know and uh, we can hold up as an example in our podcasting community the heroic Jason Connerly who fought a a devastating and brutal battle with the great giant favorite on the beaches of distraction and distress and came out victorious. And uh, So my hat's off to Jason uh, for one more reason for his awesomeness. So what else is there to say about RPG a day? Well, after 21 minutes or so, probably nothing that anybody wants to listen to. So let's shift into calls.
Hey, Anthony, it's BJ. Really enjoyed your uh, your story about accidentally scaring your players by, by doing Dracula. I think we forget just how creepy and scary the story of Dracula is. One, because it's become so familiar to us. Um, but even because I think those of us in the you know modern day who maybe haven't read the novel or ever seen a, an actual adapt, adaptation of, of the novel, early on we figure out who Dracula is through the eyes of Jonathan Harker. And I don't think, I think it's easy to forget how creepy and scary that would be for those events to be unfolding in London, because we as the reader know what's going on, but none of the characters do until they get to the point where Harker makes it back and starts comparing notes with everybody. But they just sort of experience the weird weather and the, the, the creepy things happening around London when the, once this, the Demeter comes into to, um, port and everything that follows yeah, that would be that is very Cthulhu-like when you think about it. So, uh, uh, anyway, really, really great recap that I appreciate hearing about it. Thanks. And of course, now that I think about it, uh, after I ended the previous message, um, <clears throat> Dracula transporting the, the the dirt from his uh, grave to London in advance of his arrival, and, and, and then also having it on the ship when he goes. Um, that really, uh, that's sort of an exploit. You know, one of the the rules that bind the vampire in, in folklore is having to sleep in their own grave. I mean, Dracula finding a loophole to move his own grave so he can terrorize the rest of the world. Is that, would that make Dracula the original power gamer or the original rules lawyer? I don't, I don't know. How would you characterize that? Uh, anyway, just wondered. <laughs> See you later. Thanks for the call, BJ. Obviously, longtime listeners will know that that was the voice behind the Arcane Alienist podcast, or Game Doc on Discord. <laughs> I like the description of the player of Dracula being a power gamer, um, and it puts me in mind of what would you do, right? Like, imagine getting to play some kind of heroic figure in, you know, maybe a sword and sorcery campaign or, or whatnot, uh, similar to the historical figure of, of Vlad Tepish, right, who has to defend his you know small homeland against this this horde, and getting pushed and pushed and pushed to the limit, and you know, and then as we deviate from history and move into fiction, you know, maybe that player would be tempted to consort with dark powers, or as we see in the Coppola picture, right, to you know curse. God for his misfortune. You know, I did everything uh, right, but you've still taken this away from me. Um, a tragic love story angle. Now, who knows how it would come about in play, but, you know, maybe a power gamer would be willing to consort with dark powers in order to maximize their efficacy in defending their tiny kingdom. And then, of course, as they recognize they have immortality, and as the tides of history sweep their tiny kingdom away from the limelight, and they realize they're just some kind of provincial backwater nobility, uh, forgotten mainly by history, what would they do? And solving the problem by, well, I'm going to leave, and then discovering that you cannot rest in foreign soil? (laughs) That would be one of those fantastic Game Master twists that uh, would infuriate, but also, you know, make you want to tip your hat at uh, 
at the Game Master at the same time. It's not an insurmountable problem, as we see Dracula solving it uh, in the book, but at the same time, it's like, what? <laughs> I have to stay here in my tiny mountain kingdom that's about to be annexed by some other kingdom just on paper, and, you know, the glorious days of battle are over? Um, yeah, fascinating. Nope, I'm going to move to the hustle and the bustle of the modern world and the greatest city of that time on Earth. I'm moving to London. I don't have to worry about the reportedly bad food because I'll be feasting on the succulent flesh of those who live there. So, yeah, awesome. Thanks for the call in. I'm glad you enjoyed participating in and uh, and listening to others as they participate in, participated in RPG a day. And I look forward to talking with you soon. And I'll be making a, a subsequent podcast episode uh, talking about our recent play of Hollow Earth Expedition, so that'll be fun to talk about, too. Hey, Anthony, Jason here. Just finished your final episode of RPG, hashtag RPG a day 2023. Really enjoyed everything. Thank you for doing that. I've also been reading along with the blog and really enjoying that. I, I know I haven't commented on people's blogs because I just... I don't know. I'm lazy, I guess. But but I've really been enjoying everybody's output and enjoying RPG Day, and I'm looking forward to next year. I do think, and I know the hashtag thing is supposed to handle this, but I think having a, a master list of all the different people doing things to the ability we can. I mean, obviously, some people just post up on social media like Twitter or post in Discord, things like that, and so that might not be captured. But if we had a master list of all the podcasts and all the YouTube channels and all the blogs that were doing this, I, I think that would be helpful to people. Um, maybe we'll try to see what we can do to organize that for next year. Maybe I'll have my blog up and running and I can host that on my blog. Who knows? Um, although I fear it would be better hosted on yours or, or the autocratic blog. Um, a couple quick comments. You meant since we're past... RPG a day, I can be slightly negative. Um, you, you mentioned the character sheets that came as pads and not wanting to use them. I agree. I am 100% the same way. I do not like <laughs> to write on those. So I, I will make my own, even though I've got the pad of them right there, which is kind of crazy. Um, and and it's even more so with board games, and this is where the tinge of negativity comes, these legacy board games where you put stickers on your board game and rip up cards and and modify the components as you play through. Oh, I can't stand that. I've got some of those legacy games. They're a heck of a lot of fun, but I find ways around modifying the components because I might want to play it again someday. And, you know, the older I get, the less likely I'll remember how it played out the first time, so it's still got replayability value to me. Um, so what other comments? You talked about doing the game based on Dracula. I, I ran a group, and this was back during the G-plus days, I ran a game of Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, and I did it using Barbarians of Lemuria. Now, there's a, a heftier version of Barbarians of Lemuria specifically for swashbuckling-type adventures called Honor Plus Intrigue, and I borrowed some things from Honor Plus Intrigue, but that was great because none, none of the players had seen Captain Kronos, I found out, and so we all I had them watch it afterwards, and, and it was that, and they all loved it, but yeah, they didn't know that they hadn't seen the movie, so it was all fresh to them, which was wonderful. I've done that a couple other times, borrowing 
from movies and Western, you know, Western TV show plots, things like that, um, always pretty successfully. Uh, maybe I've been lucky enough to change enough. Oftentimes I'll change the genre. That I, Captain Kronos was a direct lift. But a lot of times I'll change the genre. You know, I'll take a Western, but I'll run it in a, in a space setting or I'll something like that. So I think I've done it well enough that I've never had anybody call out the source material. So that, that's been good. Anyhow, I've really enjoyed your um, discussions, really enjoyed your insights. I've enjoyed everybody's insights. I th- I'm very happy that you guys are still pushing this, and I'm looking forward to next year. Take care. Jason, thanks for calling in. I could feel you out there reading as I was writing, so that's cool. It's actually not that easy to... I mean, it's not difficult, but it's not that easy to comment on WordPress blogs. Uh, So the the echoing silence is... I've long grown used to it. I did get uh, a lot more comments this year than than in past years, so that was nice. Uh, and that was kind of a hint to me that my suspicion that blogs were on the way back uh, was correct. There's more people liking posts, more people reading posts, more, more people sharing posts, that kind of thing. And WordPress's recent update of their software, uh, which seems identical to the original WordPress software, but now just kind of bundles all of their features together under the unfortunate name of Jetpack. Jetpack is a very easy-to-use app. It just isn't as fast in any conception of the word as the name Jetpack implies to me. I mean, maybe when you hear the phrase Jetpack, you think of slow and stately progress of loading pages and things like that, but uh, I don't. I think of a lightning-quick blast. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, blogs are on the way back. And, and that's pretty interesting. So I was, um, I'm glad that you enjoyed uh, everybody's responses. It was a really positive experience for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, already in this episode we've talked uh, about my reflection, so I don't need to go into that further. Uh, you have told me the story of Captain Kronos uh, before, and, uh, and that sounds like a lot of fun. And, and like you, I find intellectual property to be something that I like to play with, um, whether that's an aesthetic or whether that's uh, an inciting situation like a rebellion or something like that. I don't tend to use plots, and that's why this this uh, Dracula story I was relating uh, kind of sticks in my memory. It's one of the few times that I lifted, you know, like, it was Dracula. It's just Dracula without the non-England parts. You know, so we don't get any insight into Jonathan Harker's uh, uh, trials and tribulations. We don't have the, the Mina connection. This is simply, you know, the uh, Lucy Westenra's point of view and, and her household, right? The, the ship washes up uh, next to her manor, you know, and... Uh, and strange events ensue, and and creepy it was. It really had a, a powerful effect, and uh, it's a it's a good memory. But it's also, like I said, a strange a strange one. Like why don't they why don't they recognize it? 
you know, what was really, really obvious to me, being the person who, you know, put the thing in motion, was completely obscured uh, to them. And I think that's a, a handy lesson. And, uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, for your other major point about uh, a central clearinghouse of posts, this has been done in the past, but it lapsed. Um, in 2016, uh, the YouTube RPG Brigade, uh, I won't go into the history of the, U- of the YouTube RPG Brigade, now defunct, uh, but uh, we had our own online convention, one of the, one of the early online conventions, which was called BrigadeCon. And so at that point, David needed someone to, you know, take over the event. And, and I stepped in and we had uh, a lot of volunteers who were already gathering together to make BrigadeCon happen. And so they, you know, stepped in to help uh, spread news of RPG a day and help it transition into a platform like YouTube. And, uh, and that was, you know, those were exciting times. And as a result of that, the next year we were approached by a fellow who bought a domain name uh, that would be recognizable for RPG a day people. And he set it up to aggregate uh, all the responses that it could find. And it worked fairly well. Uh, it had a bias toward Instagram and YouTube. I don't know if that was an intentional bias in the way that he programmed the page to function or if it's just the way that that worked out. So things like blog posts or, or Twitter posts tended to be buried and they would just uh, they would kind of fade out altogether uh, over the course of a month. But that that site, that site stayed up for three years, two or three years. And, uh, and then, you know, the domain name lapsed and, and that feature went away. As that was a volunteer thing, uh, and RPG a day doesn't, you know, generate funds in any way to, you know, to pay people for uh, professional use of their time, like programming a, a website or buying a domain and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't something we felt we could pursue and ask him to keep doing. But uh, it was appreciated, and uh, it was a, you know, a helpful thing at the time. You could just scroll through list after list of of, of videos and uh, and decide which ones you wanted to watch. And uh, mostly, you saw videos and Instagram posts in that in that thing. But anyway, so that idea is not alien and definitely supported uh, by us. It's not something that either. Uh, that neither David nor I have the time to do. Um, and uh, as, the, as the event actually gets larger each year, like it spreads out each year, it gets harder and harder to be able to maintain a list like that. But if people could voluntarily uh, join a list, like sign up, like we used to do at the, at the end of G+, right? When we realized it wasn't a threat, that it was really going to happen, people started to collate blog lists, right, a blog roll, uh, for where all these creators were not on G+. What is your blog? What is your social media handle? And 
and all this stuff. Um, and those were often opt-in lists. And so we could do an opt-in list. I mean, I could definitely uh, set that up and make that a part of, of the uh, announcement on Casting Shadows every year. And, uh, and with a little bit of help, uh, that could be easier because you have to spread the list far and wide. You have to promote the list. And then some people have to read the list every now and again to make sure we don't have dead links and duplicate entries and, and stuff like that. But, uh, but anyway, thanks for the suggestion, the participation, the uplift, the support, and all that stuff. Uh, this has been a really fun year for RPG A Day for me, and, uh, and I'm glad it was for others as well. Thanks for the call. Okay, let's talk about Hollow Earth Expedition to round out this episode. Well, on my Thursday morning on September 7th, so a week ago at time of recording, and on the preceding Wednesday night for everybody else because of the international dateline, which is a very Hollow Earth Expedition kind of concept, we got together for an introductory session, a short introductory session to basically the ubiquity role-playing system of which you know, Hollow Earth Expedition, or for which Hollow Earth Expedition was the first game, the the uh, the mother of the system. It has since been licensed for many other games, and I asked the players to rank a list of games: uh, Hollow Earth Expedition or Hex, All for One, Regime Diabolique or AFO, Leagues of Gothic Horror or LOGH, and Quantum Black or QB. Now, those games, in a nutshell, Hollow Earth Expedition is a you know, pulp heroics uh, exploration game. The core game is based around the concept of player characters being inside the Hollow Earth and the, the goal being really to get out. It receives some expansions for the surface world and more detail about the Hollow Earth itself and for Mars all in this kind of heroic pulp theme where there's weird science and there might be magic in some corners of the world and, and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's about a, a group of people in some part of, of the world <laughs> that is relatively inimical to human life and wanting to escape. Right? That's the kind of the primary thrust. But you can use it for all sorts of things. It's ideal for... Uh, the old pulp novels, I can do Doc Savage with it really easily. You can do The Shadow with it or The Spider really easily. So you could do solo games or group games. You can do different levels of ability. Like you can have a Doc Savage character with uh, other supporting characters who won't necessarily be drowned out by Doc Savage. There's a couple of different ways that you can approach that that star character, like the Shadow and his agents, or Doc Savage and you know the his five companions, without one overshadowing the other and, and that kind of thing. But this is not about that. So we're going to have a uh, an introductory Hollow Earth expedition experience because that of the list of games that I gave them was the one that everybody liked the most off the list. So we didn't talk about 
what we were going to do. We didn't have a, a session zero along those lines. We had a talk about when we could play and for how long we could play and what method we would use to play, i.e. Zoom. And I really wanted at that point to have more of a conversation with everybody about how I could best present them material. Like, would it be best to give them document files or RTF files or PDF files or whatever, uh, you know, for, for their gaming setup and for their own personal requirements. Uh, we hear uh, Joe talk quite often about limitations on vision and how different types of technology interact better or worse with screen readers and things like that. So I really wanted to have the conversation about what do people need I didn't end up having the time to do it, but I thought, well, you know, we, when we settle down to play, we have an hour built in as a buffer, right, in case the game goes long or whatever. So we've got this hour built in to our schedule, so I'll be able to talk to people about their needs then. Ha-ha! The best laid plans of mice and men. Technical difficulties reared their heads, uh, I had a hard time transferring files at all. When I did manage to transfer the files, nobody could open them. So then I had to convert them to PDF. And for some reason, that normally instantaneous process took forever. So finally, all of that buffer time was simply eaten up. <laughs> it was just gone. So we didn't get to talk about it at all. So that was one of the major low points for me you know, as the host of the game, running the game, uh, that was the first really big slap in the face. The, the technology that I rely on, that I use every day, transferring files, uh, you know, sending documents to people, I use this stuff every day, it always works, it doesn't work in this moment, right? And whatever. So all that extra time is eaten up. So now we really need to leap into play. For fun... I had prepared some audio, um, like the beginning of an old radio show. I like to include this kind of stuff with Hollow Earth Expedition, uh, like at the start of an adventure, uh, you know, in between, uh, you know, when we when we have when we're running a campaign in between the the different adventures that they go on to. You know, remind them of stuff that has happened before and and uh, and the the type of world that they're living in to, to do these kind of pulpy, fast-talking, high-toned radio broadcast things with advertisements and stuff. I like to do that. So I had that stuff prepared. It also doesn't work. So now I'm at my lowest point. It's like, wow, this this is going to be fun. Uh, but I have to say that the the camaraderie between the four players, right, Jason... BJ, Carl, and Joe, it's just infectious. They clearly wanted to have a good time. They clearly are able to have a good time with each other. They can tease each other in the right way. They can support each other in the right way. They're familiar with each other. They're used to learning games. So they picked up all the, the things that I was trying to communicate to them about the game and pick up on nuances. They asked good questions. Banter went the right amount of time for that particular group. So me as an outsider coming in as the game master, it was really easy 
to interact with them. They've already worked out a social dynamic. So it wasn't like at a convention where you've got four strangers sitting at the table and you're trying to introduce them to something. Or it wasn't like putting a host on, or putting up a post on some kind of uh, bulletin board or, or whatever to meet new gamers and seeing what you get and trying to introduce this game that you want to play to them. Uh, it was far more efficient than that. And so all the credit for the smoothness from this point of play, it goes to them. They made it happen. And they elevated the mood. Because, you know, it really took the wind out of my sails to have everything that I was trying uh, just fail for no reason that I could understand. And, of course, the very next day, I'm in the same situation of needing to use audio, of needing to send files, of needing people to open docs, and everything works perfectly. So why did it not work? Still don't know. If you know, please let me know. <laughs> anyway, play. They had no idea what to expect. We didn't talk about this in any way. And my approach when I introduce a system to people is to try and either, if we're going to, if we're starting a campaign, is to focus on the very core aspects of the system and nothing else. And then we'll add as we go along. Or if it's an intro, like this was, to try and do a broad survey of the things that the system can do and to try and communicate the mood of playing that game. So they had already captured the pulp spirit, so we didn't need to go to get into that. I handed out the characters. They had no trouble uh, choosing the four characters. And that's at the point when they discovered they are playing U.S. fighter pilots in 1938. Now, ostensibly, Hex, or Hollow Earth Expedition, is set in 1936. I moved the timeline along a little bit. And because I wanted to use uh, the Curtis Warhawk, which was new at the end of 1938. So I set the game you know, ostensibly in November of 1938. They were part of a test pilot crew based in Florida, and they were doing different types of, of weather testing and different armaments and, and loadouts and this kind of stuff. That's the background of their unit. But the audio that they eventually got to hear tells of a of a Nazi airstrike on their secret base. How do the Nazis find out, right? And that you know these four test pilots rush into their brand new Warhawks and they they go in pursuit of these planes with this peculiar gull wing appearance. So they don't yet know that these will be Stukas, but you know that's how they're described uh, to them in this moment. And they recognize that these are also some kind of test planes. They they don't quite look like they would expect from from Nazi planes, and they are their planes themselves are equipped with this cool new radar device. And we get into a dogfight. So our first scene, really, once description and scene setting is taken care of, is the. The Nazi planes coming back around, right? A storm front is coming in behind them. They're hiding in the clouds. And we recognize that even though these, these planes are faster and could conceivably get away, they've peeled back to engage. So we have a dogfight. One of the things that Ubiquity does really well is allow you to play even complicated combat scenes really quickly. So we were able to use... Uh, you know, 
attacker and wingman tactics. We are to split up into to two wings and deal with the planes and deal with crashing, deal with damage. It didn't take very long. And as a result of this interaction, something happened. The Nazi planes released some kind of weird energy. There's a flash, and then suddenly we're crashing in bright daylight in jungle terrain. The planes have transitioned into the hollow earth. How did this happen? The characters don't know, but they have other things to think about. As their planes are spinning out of control, their instruments are going wild, their engines are sputtering because something is going on with the fuel, and you know, up doesn't seem like up, and down doesn't seem like down, and you know, we have four crash landings, some more successful than others. So we have one plane completely destroyed and one plane mildly damaged. But the situation that they've landed in is basically a swamp. And there are hungry fauna there ready to greet them. Giant snakes and an enormous you know, alligator or crocodile kind of, kind of creature uh, being foremost among them. But maybe the, the creature that generated the most concern was the swarm of large piranha-like creatures that uh, arose once the blood started to flow. So it was a very, very deadly non-stop kind of fighting environment until they won for themselves a kind of peace. They made it back to dry land, they made it back to one of the wrecks, and they were able to you know, kind of secure a perimeter where they could be safe and talk for a moment about where the hell they were and, and what could be done. So, from that point, they decided that they were pretty sure they had seen smoke from another crashing plane, not them, so obviously the Nazi planes, heading off in this direction. The compasses don't work, they have no way to navigate, but just using simple directions like toward that mountain or to the left or to the right, they figured they would be able to traverse that distance. And it might be a day or so away uh, if the terrain remained consistent. They're going to be heading into rainforest, the jungle. Well, they strip one of the machine guns and ammunition from the wrecked plane and proceed to carry it into the jungle. And where we finished our two-hour adventure, we played for about an hour and 50 minutes, was these characters recognizing that a Nazi contingent was coming their way to a regular campsite. And so they set up an ambush around that campsite. And we left it on a cliffhanger as to what was going to happen with that encounter. If we had continued to play we could, and it had gone to full-out combat with automatic weapons and whatnot, we could have finished that off in another 15 minutes or so unless some kind of question of play had arisen. Probably less, right? With totally experienced players who knew the characters well and uh, knew how to interact with the system and and uh, and each other, and were focused on getting it done, that could have been a five to ten minute uh, interaction with you know a full squad of Nazis with cover and and a variety of weapons, and four player characters with their variety of weapons in unfamiliar terrain. So it could have been handled really quickly, but that wouldn't have given us any time to, to talk or, or decompress from it. And uh, so we opted to cut it there. And so that really was our experience with Hollow Earth Expedition. It started out with a real low for me from 
a high all week long of looking forward to the game to a sudden crash of of ongoing cascading failure and then back up into a whole lot of fun thanks to you know the the skill and camaraderie and and just upbeat nature of our four players Carl and Jason and Joe and BJ so it was a really awesome experience which I hope we can repeat and uh, either continuing on with Hollow Earth Expedition or doing another kind of intro session for one of the many other games. Desolation, with its high fantasy brought low uh, months after a massive apocalyptic event kind of vibe, or All for One playing The King's Musketeers, which is probably my favorite ubiquity game, or Leagues of Adventure, uh, you know, a Victorian age of exploration and crazy invention, or Leagues of Gothic Horror, which we talked about already with its with its monsters and mayhem, or Leagues of Cthulhu with its very particular and very nasty take on cosmic horror, which I dearly love, and uh, Quantum Black with its modern special operatives versus cosmic horror kind of vibe, or Space 1889, uh, which was contributed to very enthusiastically by the creator of Space 1889, uh, Frank Chadwick. Yeah, there's just a lot of cool ubiquity stuff to try out and a system that I think works really well and is a, a, a system that embraces the type of play that people who are into old school games look for and also people who are newer to gaming uh, can quickly understand and use. So anyway, that's enough. Thanks for listening to this Reflection from the Road. And until the next time, where we get back into the question of immersion. We take some calls with people's experience or observations on the broader topic of immersion. And we move on to the next stage of that discussion. If you're thinking about calling in but hesitate because you don't really know how to put your ideas into some sort of you know, kind of official jargon or whatever jettison that fear. There isn't any. And until we start talking with with each other with our normal language, our normal way to describe things, we are role players after all, we do know how to describe, until we start exploring the boundaries of our experience and, and how it seems to us that we should describe our experiences, until we do that, we won't find out what those boundaries are. We won't, we won't be able to identify what the common ground is and we won't ever develop any kind of functional, practical language for these things. We certainly won't be able to share it. So one of the things that I try to do is explain the rationale between the words I'm using, right, and the successes and failures I've had with those words in the past, right? People don't seem to understand this word, or they seem to understand that word. But this is just my personal experience. So please talk to me as you will. And for an example of this, go back a couple of episodes to where we talked to Jay Webster. He and I are talking about essentially the same thing using a completely different set of vocabulary. And yet, we understand what we're talking about. Right? So, if you have an experience of immersive play, be that in character, be that in 
using the math of the game or in describing the setting or just interacting with people on a social level, if you have some kind of immersive, engaging experience to share, please call in and share it. And if you don't, if you've never had that experience, call in and share that too. All right. Until the next time, take care. You've been listening to the Casting Shadows podcast in its Reflections from the Road format, complete with car noises of all shapes and sizes.